I've been struggling with a frog for a couple days. I'll let my kids figure that one out. Turn with me to John, the fourth chapter. John, the fourth chapter. I anticipated that tonight there wouldn't be too many here. Also uh, anticipated that somewhat tonight there's preoccupation with the weather and the conditions. That always has a way of sort of uh, upsetting us a bit and, and uh, getting us concerned about other things. Um, so this morning, uh, while pastor was preaching, I decided I would not preach the message that I intended to preach, but I would go another direction. So that other direction is what we'll be following tonight. Pastor preached on the, uh, on the commitment to evangelism, and there's no greater example of evangelism than the fourth chapter in the Gospel of John. We'll not read that, but we will go through it together sort of a phrase at a time or a paragraph at a time. And if you'd like, I would encourage you to take out a piece of paper and a pencil. And we're going to structure some things, I think, that are principles to be learned in this commitment to evangelism. So if you want to follow along, I'll be making reference back to those towards the end of the message. And then you can use that as sort of a checklist. For those of you that have good memories, you won't have to write it down. But I had to write mine down, and maybe you'll have to write yours. As, uh, as we begin reading, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples baptized, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his sons Joseph. The setting of this illustration or example or story in Scripture is that Jesus was going from Judea. He was leaving for Galilee, but he decided to go through Samaria. And the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, and so it was kind of unusual that he should do that. But that's the setting. So he's really on his way to another place. Then he cometh to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, or sat down on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, or it was about noontime. Now, the first principle to be learned, I think we've just about come to that point in this scripture, is that we need to be aware of the providence of divine providence. Point number one is be aware of divine providence. Now, divine providence is what brought Jesus and this woman together. He's about to meet a woman of Samaria. And notice that they were brought together basically out of a, a need. Jesus had been walking. He'd been walking probably since early in the morning. So he was wearied. The disciples were wearied. They were hungry. They were tired. It was out of physical need that they stopped at the well. They had nothing to eat. Jesus sent them into the, to the city to get something to eat. Now, the woman was there out of a physical need, too. She was thirsty, so she's coming towards the well. So it was out of, a, out of a need, basically the physical needs of each one of the ones represented, that they were brought together. But I believe they were brought together under divine providence. Some people call these divine encounters. But it was, it was the divine providence of God that brought the two together. And let's see what happens. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. 
The second thing I think is being noticed from this is point number one would be aware of divine providence. Point number two, be sensitive to the situation. Not only was Jesus aware that there was a physical need, but I believe when that woman walked up to him, he became aware of a, of a spiritual need. So point number two is be sensitive to the situation. And Jesus sensed the spiritual need of the woman. And notice what he did. He said, give me to drink. Point number three is take the initiative. Jesus took the initiative by saying something to the woman when he said, give me a drink. Now what it does in taking the initiative, first of all, we need to realize that those people who live around us, those people who work around us, those people who are in our family are there because of divine providence. Next, we need to be sensitive. Not only are they next to us as neighbors, not only do they work with us and next to us at work, but we need to become sensitive to the spiritual condition that's happening in those relationships that God has brought into our path. Next, we need to take the initiative. Jesus said, give me a drink. And this break, breaks down the walls of, uh, that's between us and another person. I've tried something in the last three or four months that's sort of a new thing for me. I'm not usually made this way, so I'm working on something that's, that I believe will help me in the long run. I've been doing a lot more hospital calling lately, and one of the things, if I see somebody at the hospital or on an elevator or somewhere, I take the initiative to speak to them. And what that does is it, it, it breaks down that, uh, that barrier between people. And uh, in taking the initiative, sometimes I find out that their response is, uh, not verbally, but sometimes an attitude, but you're not supposed to speak to me. You see, we're supposed to remain strangers on this elevator, and I'm not supposed to speak to you, and you're not supposed to speak to me. Or uh, speaking to someone where you're crossing the street, and you say, uh, hello, how are you doing today? It, it catches people off guard. Uh, taking the initiative in speaking to a neighbor or a friend or someone you're working with is step number three, take the initiative. And I, I told you somewhat about my neighbors, about the reception I got when I moved into my house. Well, a couple of years ago, I began to take initiative at that point because Dave next door had really not said anything to me or uh, the other next door neighbor. So when I went on vacation, I went over across the street and knocked on the door and I said, would you mind doing me a favor? Would you, I'm going on vacation for the next five days or seven days, whatever it was. Would you watch my house during that time? Oh, sure, be glad to. What that was doing was breaking down some of those walls. We need to take the initiative. But notice also, let's read a little bit more of the story. For the disciples were going away under the city to buy meat. Then said, saith the woman of Samaria under him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me? Which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You know, the, the next thing I notice that happens in here, it's still under point number three, but that the person that you're trying to break down the walls with will be quick to recollect what the walls are. Whether it's a person in an elevator, whether it's an attitude saying, you're not supposed to speak to me, they know the walls exist and you will have to break those walls down in those people's lives that, that God brings into your life. And this is what I think the enemy uses to keep the walls between people uh, so that we cannot get the message that we want to get to them. But number three is take the initiative because that breaks down the walls. 
And it certainly broke down the wall that was between Jesus and this woman, and she recognized that. Point number four, that is in verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. Number four is be willing to give something. First, you need to be aware that divine providence is happening. Secondly, be sensitive to those people that God brings into your life. Number three, take the initiative. Number four, be willing to give something. What was Jesus willing to give? I will give thee living water. I will give thee living water. All right, then the next, if I would use that with my neighbor example that I used earlier, what happened the next time when I found out that Dave was going on vacation, I saw him out in his yard one day and he said, you know, we're going to go slip down to the to the lake here for the next couple weeks. I said, well, let me watch your house for you. Be happy to do that. I'll come around and I'll just check everything. In other words, be willing to give something back to that person. Once you begin to break down the walls, point number four, be willing to give something. Five is also in that verse, in verse number 10. Remember, and I, this is probably not a good way to say this, but remember their ignorance. I'm not talking about their mental capacity. I'm talking about remember that they are ignorant of who Jesus is and what he wants to do in their lives. Notice how it was phrased here. If you knew the gift of God, Jesus said. And who it was that says unto thee, give me to drink. But not only do you remember their ignorance, but have confidence in them. Listen to what else he said. If you knew, then you would have asked of him, and he would give you living water. So point number five is remember their ignorance of Jesus, but have confidence in them. And this is where we need to live with that confidence that if we can somehow get the message of who Jesus is and what he wants to do in their lives to them and penetrate this blindness that they have in their lives, that they will accept him into their heart. And that's where faith can take hold. So point number five, remember their ignorance, but have confidence in them. If you knew, then you would. Point number six is uh, found in the next few verses. And the woman said unto him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. Point number six is give your testimony. This is what I call the testimony portion of what Jesus was doing with that woman. Now, it might be a personal testimony. At this point, that person that you're working with, that God's brought into your life, that you've taken the initiative, and that you've been willing to give something, and, and you've broken down the walls, you're ready at this point to begin to give them some sort of a testimony. It might be a family testimony. Let me share with you what God has done in our home. It might be a church testimony. Let me share with you what I feel about my church. You know, if it's difficult for you to uh, just talk about your personal relationship with Jesus, there are a lot of ways that you could give a testimony. And that's where if you begin to talk and give somebody a church testimony, then that leads you right in to be able to ask them to come to church because you, 
you've created some curiosity there. Give them your testimony. We need to give service to the Lord, not just by letting our life shine, and not by just our life, but we also need to do it with our lips. So at this point, I believe, is the testimony time in the Gospel of St. John, fourth chapter, when Jesus was confronting the woman in Samaria. Point number seven. Point number seven. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband to come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. Point number seven is bring them to the point of honesty. After you give your testimony, point number seven, bring them to the point of honesty. Now, one way to bring someone to the point of honesty is you might, after you, let's say you've given someone a church testimony and they've come to church with you. Sometimes when a person comes to church and they hear the gospel preached, it's then that they come to the point of being honest. You might have someone else share with them. That's then you're bringing them to the point of being honest. Or on a one-to-one -one confront confrontation, you bring them to the point where they're honest about who they are and, and what they have done. Bring them to the point of honesty. Point number seven. She, Jesus told her that she'd had five husbands and the one that she was now with was not her husband, but that she had been honest. For he said, in that you have said truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. You see, both the Samaritans and the Jews worship God. And the Samaritans believed that you worship God, you, you, you could pray to God in the mountain. They had a holy mountain. And the Jews said, no, it has to be done in Jerusalem. Now, point number eight is answer the spiritual question. Answer the spiritual question. Everybody's got one. When you bring a person to the point of honesty, you've walked with them, you've, you've, taught, you've given them your testimony, and when you bring a person to the point of being honest, they'll, they'll, the next thing usually happens almost invariably, this will happen, they've got some sort of spiritual question. I remember one night Dave and I were out in evangelism called two or three years ago. We were at uh, somebody's house and we got right down to the point of decision. The person be, was honest with us. We were able to share with him. And he had a question. And his question dealt around the whole area of tithing. He thought he could not be a Christian unless he first was a tither. And this was a confusing area in his life. And we began to find out that was a thing that stood between him and the Lord. Everybody's got something like that. Everybody's got a spiritual question that's standing between them and the Lord. Point number seven is you have to deal with that. And Jesus could have said, Ma'am, that's not important, you know, where you worship the Lord. It, it, uh, that's just kind of irrelevant to our conversation. No, he took time to answer her. And he said, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither on this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye, that is, the Samaritans, worship ye know not what. We, the Jews, know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. He was really saying to her, the time is now where it doesn't make any difference 
You can be on a mountain, you can be in Jerusalem, you can be on the plain, you can be in the desert. It doesn't make any difference. The time is now where you worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. He took time to answer that question. And the questions that people will have at this point are very, very important to them. But everybody has the spiritual question. The last point, point number nine, is point them to the truth. The last thing that Jesus told her was, you notice in verse 25, the woman said unto him, I know the Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto you am he. The last thing we need to do is bring them face to face with Jesus. And that's what happened to the woman here. Now, if you are working with someone, and Pastor, this morning when he was talking about what's going to happen on Friend Day, you have someone that, that will be somewhere on this checklist. You might have someone that you have just become aware, maybe they backed into your car. Right, that was the divine encounter that brought you together. And maybe you said, well, I'm, I'm not, you know, we, I, granted that there's an encounter here, but I've never, I wasn't sensitive to their, to the spiritual need at that point. Maybe you're ready for point number two. To become sensitive to the spiritual need as well as the physical thing that brought you together. Or well, as well as the, uh, the locational thing that brought you together. Number three, take the initiative. Do something to begin to get into that person's life. Maybe some of you said, well, I, you know, I've lived next to this neighbor for 10 years and I know they've got a spiritual need, but I've never really done anything to take the initiative to bridge that gap. Maybe you're ready for point number three. Take the initiative. Or maybe you said, well, I've taken the initiative. Point number four, maybe you be willing to give something to that person. Be willing to give something of yourself to that person. And remember, that they're ignorant of Jesus, but have confidence in their decision to accept him. And that's where faith will begin to take hold. When you get to point number five, when you begin to realize that if they get the information that I have and that the Lord has shown me, they will accept him. Then you're beginning to live by faith and faith becomes exciting. Or maybe you said, Jerry, I've done all of that, but I've never really shared with them my testimony. I've never talked to them about church. I've never talked to them about what God's done in my family. But I need to do that. I'm ready for step number six. Or maybe you said, well, you know, we've, we've, I've done that. I've shared with them. But you know, I've never really got them to the point of being honest. But I need to do that. I need God to help me to bring that person to the point of admitting the need in their lives. And that's point number seven. Or maybe you said you could say tonight, the person I'm thinking of, Jerry, has we've been right through point number seven. I mean, we that person has just really laid themselves. I know what their needs are. They've just really laid themselves out before me. I, I know they have a spiritual need. But maybe you've never discovered that spiritual question they have. I mean, you, you've, you've shared with them and they've opened up before you and talked about their need of God, and they've tried this before, and, it, and they've, they've struggled, and that now they're backslidden, but they've got a spiritual question. Maybe they feel like they need to be a tither before they can be a Christian, or maybe they think some things that you would say, well, that's not important to the issue, but in them, and for them, it's the, it is the issue. We need to, maybe you need to discover what that spiritual question is. And if you've done that, maybe some of you are right ready for point number nine, 
to bring them to a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. Use this as a checklist. Like I said, I don't think there's any better example of a witnessing situation in the Scriptures than what the Lord Jesus has laid before us in the fourth chapter of John. Find out where you are and where the other person is in your relationship together on this checklist and it will show you the next step to take. But I also wanted to share with you tonight the rewards. And there's some interesting things that happen as a rewards of Jesus sharing with this woman. Verse 27. And upon this came the disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, What seeketh thou, or why talketh with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, or they urged him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him something to eat? I want us to see what's happening here. Jesus was talking to the woman, and he had been doing so for quite some time. And upon this setting, the disciples returned. And they brought food. That's why they left, to go get food. They brought food, and they began to probably sit around in a circle and eat. Uh, But Jesus isn't eating. And they're there for some time. And and I'll show you how how we know that in just a minute. But let's say they're there for an hour. And they're in conversation together. And they're, and they're concerned about the Lord. They're saying, Lord, uh, sure you don't want to join us? Uh, no, that's okay. And so they, they begin to urge him, say, now come on. You need to eat. You need to take care of yourself. The reason why we stopped is because we're all hungry and tired and thirsty. And you haven't refreshed yourself since you've been here. He said, no, that's, that's all right. And I have the picture in my mind that Jesus is kind of over. He's not in the circle. He's over by himself somewhere. And uh, he listens to the conversation. The conversation's going something like this. The disciples are saying, uh, this is the first time I've been in Samaria. We usually don't travel this way. Well, look out there. This, this, I, this is kind of pretty country, isn't it? Well, I guess grain fields all around. You know, about, about four months are going to be bringing all this crop in. And uh, boy, you know, that's such a that's such a hectic time. You know, I've, I've helped. You know, I've left the boat sometimes to just kind of help them uh, bring it in. You know, you get a pretty good wage for that. And, uh, but it's a busy time and you've got to be right there. And I can, I can just imagine what this place is going to be like in about four months. You know, grain's going to be white and reapers are all going to be coming in. So Jesus is listening to that, but he's still not eating. By the way, what do you think Jesus is doing while they're eating? You ever wondered that? What's Jesus doing at this point? You know what I think He's doing? I think He's praying. And I think that's one of the things that we begin to see in Scripture. And while He's listening to that, He begins to see something. He sees a crowd. See, in in those days, at that particular time, uh, most of them wore white because it reflected the sun. They didn't wear black because the sun would be all absorbed, so they wore white. 
And uh, he sees a processional coming out of the city and coming over the hill, or if they're up on a hill, he sees it coming through the valley, but he sees them coming. And when he's, he sees them being led by a, a woman, probably an older woman, if she'd been married five times, at least she'd look old. But it's, it was an older woman, probably. And he's listening to the disciples, and this is what he says. I have meat to eat or food to eat that you know not of. My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. You notice he came to do God's will and to finish his work. Remember what he said on the cross? It is finished. And then he said to them, don't say that there are four months and then comes the harvest. Here comes the people dressed in white. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white already to harvest. And the word already probably should be in verse 36, so let's just put it there. And already, he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto eternal life, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is the saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestow no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labor. During this last week, and we've been conscious of it all day, and pastors talked about those families that have gone through a bereavement time. And I wasn't with them when they said that, but I know they said it. I know that there were people in those families who if you would ask them, uh, let's go get something to eat. They'd have probably said, no, I'm not hungry. I don't feel like eating. Because of the emotional trauma, because of the emotional stress they were going through, which tells me that Jesus was carrying a tremendous burden for this lady. And he, so she left and he continued to pray for her. And he didn't want to eat anymore. He was involved in spiritual warfare through prayer and through fasting that, that proved itself when the people began to come back and his prayer was answered. The disciples were preoccupied here in what he was saying to the men. Don't think, you're, you got your mind on the world. I know this is pretty country, but, but you see, there's, you're, you're, you're missing it. You were not sensitive to the situation. You need to become sensitive to the situation. You just thought that woman was here and it was out of a physical need. That, that's not it, men. There was a spiritual thing going on. You missed it. Look, and don't be concerned about the material harvest. I want you to look. There's other things to be concerned about. The field. And they begin to change what their thinking was. The field is already white under harvest, referring to the people. And in verse 38, he said, I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestow no labor. See, the people were coming back. And Jesus was saying to them, here's an opportunity, men. Now, you can do with it what you want, but you see, I've already sown the seed. I invite you to share in the reaping. I sent you to reap. Right then was their opportunity to reap upon which they had bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye entered into their labor. And the scripture goes on to say that the Samaritans, many of them believed because of the testimony of that one woman, and the others said, well, we believe on Jesus now because we've heard him with our own ears, and he stayed there two days teaching and preaching to the Samaritans. 
I was reading a book this week, Elton Trueblood, The Company of the Committed. And he's kind of takes a philosophical approach, but it's, it's a rethinking of strategy of the church in contemporary society. I just wanted to highlight one of the things that happened in the first part of this book, second paragraph. As we analyze the record of experience, or as we look at history, we realize that neither technological nor material success is sufficient for endurance or even for survival. In other words, when we look at history, what good has the technological advances and materialism done for us? Life goes down, whatever the physical conditions may be, unless there is a relevant faith held by a sufficient number, and listen, of the best minds. And not just any faith will suffice. It must have certain features. It must be held with both intellectual integrity and dedication by self-conscious groups of people. Herein lies the crucial relevance of what we mean generally when we talk about the church. Since endurance requires both a spirit and a fellowship. Little is gained without spirit, and the spirit cannot be maintained by separate individuals. Therefore, the church, or something like it, must be cherished, criticized, nourished, and reformed. The church of Jesus Christ, with all its blemishes, its divisions, and even its failures, remains the best hope of spiritual vitality. However poor it is, life without the church is always worse. Elton Truebud says, what are you giving yourself to? What are you really giving yourself to? Technological advances? Are you giving yourself to materialism? History proves that those things will not last. History proves those things really ultimately do not help society because society is going down. The only thing history records as making a difference in the world is a people of faith. Hence, the company of the committed. But he goes on to say in that second paragraph that we, we're not going to be people of faith isolated each individually. That faith requires a spirit and spirit requires collectively sharing together. That's the reason why when, you, when we talk about being a witness, if we sent all of us out and we all did our own little thing, we're not going to be as effective as if we do it together. That's our task. Evangelism. Go and make disciples of all nations. And in closing, I would like for us to sing a hymn. Turn to page 190. And let's stand as we sing this together. A charge to keep I have, a God to glorify. And Bill lead us as we sing together. And as you uh, sing this song, it's not a long song. I want us to sing all four verses. But let the words minister to you. And we'll, we're going to sing it one verse right after the next. And as you do that, think of the commitment to the church. Think of the commitment to evangelism. And think of the commitment to Friend Day on March the 17th. Let's sing it together. A charge to keep my
Let the 